Today's reading comes from John chapter 20, 19 through 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him, with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Thank you so much. So I hope you guys are okay. We're going to be a little more chill on this uh, Sunday before Christmas. Uh, I'm going to sit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you're a good God. Uh, Lord, you are that God of peace. Uh, Lord, as we're going to see, the, the Prince of Peace. Uh, but there are so many different things, so many different opportunities that the world offers us that are off-ramps to peace and on-ramps to all kinds of hurt and brokenness. Uh, Lord, we pray that you just move in us, change us, sculpt us, uh, that we can graft better into the peace that you offer. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Okay, it's good to be with you guys today. We've been going through these, he shall be called sermons. Tanner, I think the feedback is coming through that microphone. There's a chance you could turn that off and see if that fixes it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, for you guys at home, I've got an echo going on. That's a little bit better. Anyway, uh, we'll make it work. Um, we've been going through the different, he shall be called. This comes from a passage in Isaiah. And the, the promise of Jesus brought wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, which is what we talked about last week, and then prince of peace, which is really the trinity, right? Father, Son, and, and Holy Ghost. And uh, this week, Prince of Peace. Uh, and to be honest with you, this is a little bit uh, behind the curtain of being a pastor. Uh, there are times when we are going to preach on something. Uh, and the way how God helps me, helps, I was going to put helps in parentheses, and that's, that's too strong. Uh, typically, when I've got to preach on something like peace, they are weeks that I'm shook. Uh, for a variety of reasons, right? And I think part of that's just kind of building up to Christmas and all the different obligations that we put on ourselves and all the different family dynamics and just all of that together, right? And that kind of stress kind of starts building up in everyone's life. And this last week was a lot of that. Uh, Nothing horrible happened, but it was just as it went and as I'm trying to reflect and pray on, okay, God, what do we want to talk about with this Prince of Peace aspect? There was just a lot of unpeace in my life. Um, and yet, that promise of who God is and what God is doing is just as secure. 
And just as important, in fact, more important, that as that anxiety starts to rise up in our lives, as that conflict starts to come, the promises of who God is and what God is doing is still as ever-present as ever. All right? And so when we talk about peace, it's one of those topics that most people would raise their hands and say, yes, I wish there was more peace in the world. Right? Christians, non-Christians, all of us would probably do that. We'd be like, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. But there is a problem with our equation and by what we mean. Typically, when we say, yes, I wish there was more peace, what we're really saying is, I wish my side would win. And then there would be peace, right? And we may even look and say, but my side's going to win, but I, I want my side to win because I love you. I want my side to win because it's going to be what's best for you. And so it's peace on our terms, right? That, that's why countries go to war. They all think they're right, right? They think that they have the high ground. It's why families go to war. It's why workplaces can get complicated. And this isn't to say that there isn't objective right and wrong, because there is. This isn't a call that we should all become doormats and that we just give up our rights. And yet what we're going to see in the Prince of Peace, what we're going to reflect on and what is going to become really apparent and is going to frame this whole sermon, Jesus was always right. Okay, we can agree on that, right? Jesus was always on the right side of every argument. God bless growing up with Jesus. I mean, think about his parents, right? You as parents, you could at least say, just do as I say, and you're going to be right in that, or you have that authority. This is Jesus. Think if you were a brother or sister of Jesus. Reflect on that for a second. Knowing that every argument you ever get into is your fault, right? You're like, no, 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 I'm on the wrong side of this equation, right? So Jesus shows up, and Scripture says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is always right. He could have come into every circumstance, every relationship, and just laid down the law. I'm right, so do as I say. No mercy, no grace. I'm right. And yet that is not the posture that he came with. That's not who he showed himself to be. That's not where peace would come from. Instead, even though he was right 100% of the time, He's still led with love and with service and doing everything he could to restore relationships to the point that he was willing to go and die on a cross to cover sin and the brokenness of this world that he could start putting people back together again. See, Jesus led with peace from the full authority of being God. And yet, was able to, as Philippians says, empty himself, that he could have right relationships with folks. And, and that's where peace comes from. But these encounters with God, what we're going to see in Scripture, is rarely is a peaceful emotion the initial reaction to any encounter with God, Old Testament or New Testament. Right? So you look at when God sends angels, or when God himself shows up, and it is a range of emotions. This is, this is Isaiah's emotion when he meets God. In the year the king Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. So he sees God, and his response, woe to me. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among people of unclean lips, and I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's first response is one of terror, right? He sees a pure and holy God of beauty and of light, and then he sees his own life, and he's like, O-M-G. Literally. <laughs> this is one of those, like, I am, I am so screwed, right? Now, the good thing is, Isaiah doesn't end there. God actually comes to Isaiah and cleans him, redeems him, restores him, and says, hey, because of my work, you can be in my presence. But when we first encounter God, our sinful nature, peace isn't what comes. Fear is what comes. Because we realize the gaps in our own lives. The gaps in our own relationships that we've helped dig. And if it wasn't for Christ and his posture... All of us should have the uh, reaction of Isaiah. Woe woe to me, I'm done. I'm ruined. But the good news is that Jesus comes gentle and riding on a donkey. The king of kings doesn't come with a sword, but comes to serve. And because of that, we don't have to be terrified when we encounter God, but instead we get to go to the throne room. We get to go to our Father as children who are loved and adored. And as we saw last week, a God who rescues us because he delights in us. Jesus shows up. And part of the reason why the first response isn't always terror to Jesus is because most of us don't get Jesus. His disciples really didn't get Jesus most of the time. You see this throughout scripture. Coming to the end of Jesus' ministry, and in John, um, again, peace on God's standards, not the world's, we'll come back to that. Um, uh, This is the end of John. Jesus is about to die. And he says to his disciples, and his disciples are like, oh, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech, now we see that you know all things, and you do not need uh, anyone to have, uh, ask questions of you. This makes us believe that you are God, right? So they're like, okay, Jesus, we get who you are. We get who you are, do- what you're doing. We get your mission. We're on board. How, how many of you guys ever feel that way with God? You're like, yes, I get this. You leave Sunday church, and you're like, yes, I got all the good spirit stuff going on in here. Then someone cuts you off. Then you get a text message. From that family member. Jesus responds, do you not believe? Huh. A time is coming, in fact, is now has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will all leave me alone. See, the disciples thought they knew what God was up to. They thought they understood what type of prince of peace Jesus was going to be, and they were still living in their reality of peace. Peace through strength, peace through victory. And that was not the type of king Jesus was, is. That wasn't how he was going to lead. That wasn't where he was going to ask his disciples to go. And so when he gets arrested... 
when things go to pot, they all scatter. And y'all, the disciple story is our story. Every single person in this room lives this journey over and over and over again, where we start to create Jesus in our own image or in the image that we want. But the superhero Jesus, where he's going to battle for us, and our side will win, and then we'll have peace. That's not the type of king that we have. That's not the type of prince of peace that we have. And so when there are those gaps, we all scatter. We all turn back to our, our sinful postures, our sinful ways of connecting with other people. We, we start to pull back out the weapons and the back talk and the anger and the jealousy and all that kind of stuff. But the beautiful part about the story is it doesn't just end here. Jesus doesn't say, well, you guys think you get it, you still don't. And you're all going to leave me. Instead, immediately after this, literally the next sentence, he says, yet I'm not alone, the Father is with me. He said, I'm still good. And I have told you these things that you may have peace. You see, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Immediately after telling his disciples, you're all going to abandon me. His response isn't, so I'm done with you. His response isn't even to punish them or to find some way that they can build the relationship back up again. Instead, he says, I'm telling you this now so you can still have peace. Because in this world, there is trouble. In this world, it's still broken. Families are broken. My family's broken. Your family's broken. Our government's broken. The way the countries interact, it's all broken. (laughs) In this world, you will have trouble. But I give you my peace. Because y'all, I have overcome the world, is what Jesus says. Immediately after abandoning him, He says, I have overcome the world and I still want you to have that peace. See, that's the God that we have. That's the promise that we have. And it's beyond anything that the world is going to be able to offer us. Because what we find out is even if we win that argument, even if that situation at work goes exactly our way, even if our side wins, It doesn't fix anything. Because, y'all, there's just going to be another argument. If our posture is still one of this world, we're just going to go back into that spiral again. And those relationships are going to start to deteriorate again. Because what the world offers can't last. And yet the peace of God, the peace that Jesus is offering, transcends all of it. We read these words a couple weeks ago. From Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace is the promise that we as God's kids get. 
when we learn to model our life and our discipleship after Jesus. Yeah, I told you this week was strange. Uh, Just because God was very clearly challenging me spiritually, helping me not just come up here and talk a good game, not coming up here and just playing pretend, but no, no, no. What what does peace look like in, in the real world? And it can be hard. It can be messy. A funny but real story, uh, AJ had mentioned it earlier, Spider-Man No Way Home came out, and I was very excited about this. Uh, great movie. Everyone should go see it. Um, very excited. Had bought my tickets like literally 10 minutes after they came out four weeks ago. Uh, 4.40, Thursday afternoon, booked it with Erica. We had this all set up. And then as we're getting ready to go, everything went wrong. Right, timing was wrong, I had said some wrong stuff, uh, and I had expectations of what was gonna happen. But I'm like, it's okay, it's still good, we still got this, there's no problem, and then we hit traffic. And my expectations hit reality, and my peace meter went way down, right? And every other meter in me started going way up, right? Because my expectations of what was supposed to happen, I did this right, why isn't this working? Higher and higher. And then the other drivers weren't driving the way I wanted them to? Oh, gosh. And now I've moved from expectation to control, right? I want to, like, marionette every single lane, right? Just so I can still get to my movie on time, so I can see what happens in the end of this trilogy. And again, peace meter, way down. Every other emotion, way up. My wife's just sitting next to me. This is, this is healthy. This is, this is, this is going to end us, end up, you know, right? Like, it's so messy. Because when we allow our expectations to get in the way of what God is actually going to do, we're giving up the peace he's trying to offer us. That, that's why the Lord's Prayer says, your will be done, not our will be done. And that posture and that truth can be hard sometimes. It was hard for Jesus in the garden. When, when he didn't want to go to the cross, And he's literally crying, God, this is going to be hard. If there is any other way but your will, not my will. It is okay to be frustrated with the brokenness of this world. Justice, biblical outcomes, when we see injustice, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to have hopes. It's okay to want to go see a movie. And then it gets in the way and you're like, this, eh. And yet, when we allow the expectation and control to get in the way of what God is actually doing, we're giving up that transcendent peace which God is promising to each of us. And then the other area for me, and for most of us, in fact, I will say all of us, is when we allow self-righteousness to get in the way of relationships. Righteousness literally means right relationship. Self-righteousness means I want to be in my relationship with myself above everyone else. Because I'm right. And they're wrong. And again, I'm not arguing against objective truth. There is objective truth. There is injustice in this world. And God has called us to stand up against it. 
He has called us to stand in the breach and to love people and try to see biblical outcomes happen. And yet, when we tie that to relationships and we become self-righteous, and because we're right, we're willing to go to war with a person, not an ideology or a system, when we allow it to get personal, our peace meter drops. Because we have become our own little island. And when we are on our own little island, that peace can't be there. We're not built for that. And so that self-righteousness, that my way above all else, is an on-ramp to everything the world's going to offer you, which ultimately ends in war. Right? And there are so many wars going on right now. I mean, yeah, there's physical ones, but we're at war with family members who don't do what we want us to, we don't want them to. We're at war with our community, maybe it's next door neighbor, classmate. Why can't you just do what I want you to? And reconciliation is different. We are not going to reconcile with every single person. Reconciliation takes both sides coming together and admitting forgiveness. But God doesn't say you have to reconcile with everybody. We're supposed to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're supposed to have the olive branch out. But that doesn't mean that we have to be in abusive relationships. But that does mean that we are not called to carry that self-righteous posture that we're called to forgive. And let the cards lie where they may because as Jesus told his apostles in the scripture reading today, he starts off, peace be with you. And what is the first thing he says? The Holy Spirit's coming to help you forgive folks' sins. As you have been forgiven, so you will forgive others. That is the secret sauce of the Prince of Peace. If you are struggling, like me, with peace, a good place to start is going to God, both asking for forgiveness for your own challenges, for your own sin, but then also asking for that transcendent peace that allows you to forgive others in your life. Whether it's family members, whether it's classmates, whether it's people in the world, people in government, people on social media to say, you know what, I don't want to carry that anymore. I want to, as Jesus said, pray for my enemies. That God does something good in their life. In the same way that Christ prays for us, even when we are in rebellion, that God would do something good in our life. So we're going to do that. We're going to pray. We're going to confess. Spend a little bit of time reflecting uh, as we head towards an opportunity for us to receive physical representation of what forgiveness of sin looks like. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, you breathed on them. You said to the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit, and we give you thanks that we have received that same Spirit. Lord, a Spirit that restores and redeems every broken mistake, every sin we have committed. And Lord, we pray 
first and foremost now that we come before you with this past week, with the brokenness, with the times where we did not treat others as we wanted to be treated, with the times where we did not treat you as God, but as a uh, one of many, as opposed to the Lord of all. Lord, we ask forgiveness. But Lord, we also pray that you empower us, enable us, strengthen us to be able to forgive those in our lives. Lord, who have hurt us in word or in deed by things done or things not done. Lord, for family members, for communities. Lord God, we pray that we can be ambassadors of forgiveness. Lord, that we can let go of self-righteous living. Lord, that we can receive that gift, that promise that transcends all understanding. Lord God, that it can guard our minds and our hearts, Lord, and that it can help guard the lives of our families and our friends and our communities as well. Lord, that as we live as children of peace, Lord, that your power would be made known. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen.